Hello, and welcome back to Cape Corner, where we explore the history, story, and cultural impact of a different character or group every episode. I'm Blue, and I'll be your host as we take this journey together. The first two episodes of this series focused on DC characters, so today, I wanted to take a step into the realm of Marvel. Personally, while there's facets of DC I love, uh, a lot of the heroes are, you know, really high up there for me. I absolutely adore Marvel. It's my favorite of the two major comics giants. I was always the kid who grew up watching Spider-Man over Batman, though both are some of my all-time favorites. Spider-Man and the X-Men were early series that I enjoyed, and I'd later come to appreciate the Avengers more in my teen years. Adulthood would bring me further into groups like S.H.I.E.L.D., the Defenders, even the Inhumans to a lesser extent. But one of the flagship franchises that I never completely fell head over heels for was the Fantastic Four. They absolutely have an important place in Marvel's history, as well as popularizing the family-style team dynamic for superheroes. Uh, but something about them never really clicked, you know? The movies didn't help, but I'll get to that later. Um, despite the fact that they're not one of my favorite series, or one of the ones that I'm the most knowledgeable about, uh, I had a request to do them in the Cape Corner Discord, where if you want to request a topic for an episode, you are free to join and make a suggestion. Uh, but for now, let's begin by exploring the history of the Fantastic Four, and to properly appreciate their history, we first need to take a look at the history of Marvel's very first superhero, the Human Torch. Way back in 1939, with the rise of Superman and Batman over at DC Comics, it became quickly apparent that superheroes were the hot new trend. A man by the name of Martin Goodman founded Timely Comics, which would later become what we know today as Marvel Comics. Timely burst into the superhero scene with their first issue, Marvel Comics No. 1, which introduced three characters, the costume detective known as the Angel, the underwater anti-hero and King of Atlantis, Namor the Submariner, and the android superhero called the Human Torch. Yes, you heard me right. The first being known as the Human Torch was not a cocky, flesh-and-blood human portrayed perfectly by Chris Evans, but he was instead a machine. One professor... Phineas T. Horton created the android for no explanation given, aside from scientific purposes. Look, all my life experience has taught me that if you make an android and you're sketchy and vague about why you made the android, it's because you want to have sex with it. And that's cool. Who doesn't want to bang a hot robot? Losers. That's who weaklings. Anyway, the androids seem to function perfectly fine, aside from one little design flaw. Nothing too major. Uh, you see, the only issue was that uh, when he was unveiling the android, the professor released him from his sealed container for the first time, only to discover that being exposed to oxygen made the android immediately burst into flames. 
I don't know how he didn't discover that before this point. Like, he had to assemble this this android, right? Like, I, I'm assuming these parts that apparently just burst into flames in the open air had to be assembled piece by piece. Like, did he build the entire thing in some sort of vacuum chamber? Like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, but that's just how it is. This android, which would later take the name Jim Hammond, showed a human level of sentience, personality, and awareness. But obviously, none of that mattered to the people, because he was the greatest walking fire hazard they ever done did see. So, the public demanded that he be decommissioned, and the government followed through. He was sealed in concrete. But apparently, in addition to uh, robotics engineers making robots that burst into flames, I guess nobody was good at their job in 1939 New York, because the concrete had a massive crack where oxygen seeped in, so the torch was able to escape. He then accidentally burnt down entire swaths of New York City, and a mobster tried to use him to collect fire insurance money. But don't worry, kiddos, the torch was able to beat up the bad guy and save the day before accidentally killing said mobster in an explosion. So, on top of multiple counts of arson, as well as general uh, unease about an AI gaining sentience, we now had manslaughter on the list, and with such a stellar start, of course, he just went out and said, Hey, I learned how to control my fire, and I want to use it to help humanity. And of course, humanity allowed this for some reason. Torch would then encounter and battle Namor, who would become his off-again, on-again foe, before recruiting Thomas Toro Raymond as his sidekick. Toro was the mutant son of two nuclear scientists, whose exposure to radiation gave him fire control powers. Like the Human Torch, he could just burst into flames, looking like a walking fire boy, and uh, I am actually not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure he could fly around like the Torch could, like a rocket through the air. Um, interestingly enough, there would later be a precedent for mutants in Marvel uh, with the X-Men comics, but I don't think Toro was ever connected to them. He was more of mutation through radiation, kind of like uh, Bruce Banner and the Hulk, rather than mutation through genetic evolution like the X-Men. Um, regardless, uh, Torch would soon join the police like the destructive automaton he is, hashtag ACAB, and soon his uh, superhero formula was set. I mean, he now had a civilian identity, he had a mandate to try and save others, even if it meant just burning a bunch of shit, and he had a sidekick. So, he and Toro would actually join Captain America and Bucky on a team known as the Invaders, fighting Nazis in World War II. What's, what's crazy is that in Marvel's timeline of events, the Human Torch busted into the bunker, right as Hitler was about to commit suicide, offering him a chance to turn himself in citing that he would do a lot better in American custody than he would in Russian custody. When Hitler turned the gun and opened fire on the Human Torch, the android responded by opening fire of his own, burning Hitler alive. The Golden Age comics were hardcore, guys, and it's no joke. 
There would later be a send-off for his character by having him fly into the desert and go Nova, exploding, and ending his career as well as his life. But I guess Marvel, especially Stan Lee, really liked the idea of the Human Torch, um, later citing that it was a shame that they couldn't utilize him further. So while working on their next big project, they decided to reincorporate him in a way. Martin Goodman, according to a uh, unverified cult story, was apparently playing golf with one of the bigwigs over at DC, who was bragging about the success of the Justice League of America. This story is questionably factual at best, but regardless of what spurred his thought process, Goodman recognized the success of a comic about a team of heroes, rather than just a singular hero and maybe their sidekick. So he directed his comics editor, a young man named Stan Lee, to create a new team series. Lee was determined to carve out his own career, and he resolved to create the kind of story he himself would like to read. He wanted characters that he could relate to, in his own words, characters of flesh and blood, with faults and foibles, fallible and feisty, and most importantly of all, inside their colorful, costumed booties, they'd still have feet of clay. Working together with Jack Kirby, uh, they crafted the story of a group of four civilian astronauts who traveled into space to test an experimental rocket ship. The designer of the ship, Dr. Reed Richards, uh, flew alongside the pilot, Ben Grimm, and the brother-sister duo of Susan and Johnny Storm. While flying, the four are exposed to mysterious cosmic rays, which force the ship to undergo a crash landing in a field back on Earth. Surviving the crash, the four emerge from the wreckage, forever changed by the rays. Reed becomes Mr. Fantastic, a man with the power to stretch, twist, and reshape his body as he pleases, as though he's made of rubber or elastic. Sue becomes the Invisible Girl, later renamed the Invisible Woman, who can turn herself and others invisible. Later on, she'd be able to generate force fields for both offense and defense. She would essentially be able to fire off miniaturized force fields like air bullets uh, to attack from a distance. Johnny became the new Human Torch, a cocky and brash new interpretation with a propensity for saying, Flame on! every time he ignited his body. And poor Ben Grimm became the Thing, a large monstrous man made of orange rock with incredible strength and toughness. Unlike the others who could turn their powers off and on to pass as normal people, Ben was forced to forever look this way, leading to much angst and jealousy from him. The four began operating as a superhero team, living together in the Baxter Building, very specifically located at 42nd and Madison Avenue in New York City. While DC likes creating new cities for its characters, Marvel often just sticks to various areas of New York City. While the four operates as superheroes, they're predominantly depicted as a group of explorers, scientifically studying the wild and unknown facets of the world around them, including lost civilizations uh, or lands like the Savage Land, other planets, even extra-dimensional phenomena. They have a robotic companion named Herbie, they have a fantastic car, which is really more like a weird jet that can fly wherever they need to go, 
and they have plenty of gadgets and gizmos and machines to either create or solve, sometimes both, all sorts of insane problems for the team to face. Aside from that, they have some of Marvel's most notorious villains in their rogues gallery. Doctor Doom is one of the most famous supervillains of all time, one who I don't want to go too into because I would love to do an episode about him. Uh, he has a particular grudge against Reed Richards, <clears throat> who used to be his college roommate back at Empire University. The Super Scroll is an alien who has copied the power of all four of the team members. Kang the Conqueror is a future descendant of Reed's who has ties to Apocalypse, the notorious and famous X-Men villain. But one villain in particular made the four truly famous. In Marvel, there are a few cosmic forces that each have their own sort of agenda. The Unipower, and by extension its Enigma Force, create a Captain Universe to be the champion to save the universe from devastating threats. The Phoenix Force is a mass of rage and destruction, which can revive and empower mortal beings to become some of the most devastating beings in the cosmos, especially red-haired telepaths. But while the Unipower is sort of like lawful good, and the uh, Phoenix Force is sort of like chaotic evil, above them is the true neutral and ever-consuming power cosmic. It is a force so incredibly powerful, it's considered nigh-unstoppable, and the force often takes a form with a face, known as Galactus, the Planet Eater. Galactus sends heralds to worlds to prepare them for his consumption, and every once in a while he'll convert a being to be another herald. One such being whose world was destroyed became the Silver Surfer, who traveled to Earth to announce the coming of Galactus. The Fantastic Four tried to fight the Silver Surfer, but it was pointless given how much stronger the Surfer was. Uh, for, for context, the Silver Surfer is one of those characters that is debated as to being able to potentially defeat Superman one-on-one. -on -one. So, just so you know what we're working with here. <laughs> um, however, they managed to talk to him and get him to remember what Galactus did to his homeworld. So once Galactus showed up, the Surfer actually rebelled against him, allying himself with the Fantastic Four. Along with the Silver Surfer, they found aid from Uatu, the Watcher, a member of an ancient race of aliens who are supposed to document and observe the growth of worlds. Uatu was assigned to Earth, and he broke his Watcher's vow to never interfere in order to help save the planet, and the species of humanity that he grew to care for, sort of like a father for his children. He told Reed that one thing Galactus feared, the only thing Galactus feared, was a device called the Ultimate Nullifier, uh, which is known as the universe's most devastating weapon. It's an object that could remove anything from the universe, even an abstract concept, so long as the user can imagine it. Despite having the usual drawback of killing its wielder if they're not careful, uh, it, it's, it's pretty hard to argue against the effectiveness of a tool like that. So, Uatu went to Galactus' homeworld, where the nullifier was kept, and retrieved it, coming back and giving it to Reed, who threatens to use it on Galactus to wipe him out of existence. Buying the threat, 
Galactus turns around and leaves, allowing the Earth to live. And I think that's my big issue. The Fantastic Four takes credit for saving the Earth, when it was only the help of two cosmic beings, vastly more powerful and effective, that got them into that position of, hey, the Earth's not being eaten. Uatu retrieved the Nullifier. He knew about it. The Silver Surfer fended Galactus off. He did, like, 90% of the keeping Galactus at bay. The four just kind of sat on their hands until the Nullifier was given to them. It's not like this isn't consistent, either. Reed Richards, in particular, is a dick. Like, okay, I know Johnny is a cocky son of a bitch, and he can be a real prick from time to time, but he's very openly that. Reed is portrayed like he's this great dude, and he just never is. He's been a neglectful and physically abusive boyfriend slash husband. He's created a multiversal council of himself, uh, based solely on the idea that he's the best in all universes, one that Rick and Morty would wind up spoofing off of later on. Uh, he's injected nanomachines into his child. He has forced prisoners into an alternate dimension filled with the most dangerous alien life forms. And he even created a killer clone of Thor. He's, he's absolutely the worst. Which is a shame because Sue is lovely, Johnny is hilarious and charming, and Ben is just a big old bundle of rocks full of heart. He's one of the biggest sweethearts in Marvel. To be led by an absolute sack of a man like Richards is terrible. And like beyond that, the Storm siblings, they operate on a different level than the other two members of the Fantastic Four. Because like, even though I like uh, Ben, the Thing, way more than Reed, um, I have to acknowledge that in terms of like power levels, he's... Look... Yes, he's got superhuman strength. Yes, he's got superhuman durability. But compared to, like, Luke Cage, who's about the same in those stats, but has more mobility, uh, compared to uh, the Hulk, who is just way stronger, uh, compared to beings like Spider-Man, who, uh, you know, can still fight him, but, again, way more agile, way more tools at his disposal. Like, in terms of the superhumans, uh, the thing is more or less street level. Like, he's not going to be considered much more than average uh, in terms of what Marvel's typical pantheon is. Um, and uh, Reed, again, dickish dickishness aside, um, his power to stretch and all that stuff could be really useful, but he's not a fighter. He's a real thinky boy. He's a dweeb, a dork. He, his main go-to move uh, when it comes to battling people is to just wrap himself around them like a boa constrictor or an anaconda. And, like, that can be effective, especially if he just wants to friggin' suffocate someone with his own torso. But in, in a... In a fight with superhumans, it's not that great. Like, he's not doing Luffy stuff. Luffy, Monkey D. Luffy from One Piece, shows how having an elastic body uh, can really go far with uh, augmenting a fighting style. But Reed doesn't have a fighting style. So, 
I, I hope you really like floppy shape-shifting, because that's really all he brings to the table. Um, the, the Storms, Johnny is... He's got so much uh, energy projection capability. Like, if the guy goes supernova, he can pretty much take out a city. Uh, though he would still get his cheeks clapped by Iceman, just putting that out there. Um, and and Sue, not only is her energy projection similarly amazing, and more versatile than Johnny's firepower, because it can be used uh, for containment, uh, team defense, uh, and all that stuff, but her stealth is on par with much more skilled beings like Black Widow or Black Panther. Because while Black Widow and Black Panther have way more training, way more skill and ability in uh, in stealth, there's a difference between being unseen and being invisible. <laughs> so her ability to turn fully invisible helps even scales there. Look, all I'm saying is that if... If they became their own brother-sister duo, um, they they wouldn't be much worse off. In terms of pop culture, the Fantastic Four haven't been graceful at all. Uh, there's a 90s VHS movie that was never meant to be released, uh, and that was made solely for a movie studio to retain the character rights. Spoiler alert, it got out there, and it sucks. There's the mid-2000s movies, which are not very good. Even with Chris Evans in a, in a tank top. How do, you, how do you have that and still make an average at best movie? It's an absolute travesty. There's the Josh Trank Fantastic movie, which, look, if you have your ear anywhere close to the superhero cinema game, you've likely heard what a disgrace that one is. It's not to say that the group has no positive representation, in addition to decent series from 1967 and one from 1994, there was actually a really good 2006 series. Though, it's weird. It's only one season, but it was stretched from 2006 to 2010. That's absolutely bizarre for a TV show, no matter how you slice it. 26 episodes over four years is a snail's pace release. So even their best products are marred with mishaps. It's very telling that when people ask for the best Fantastic Four property to watch, the correct answer is The Incredibles, which isn't really the Fantastic Four. It's just that they do everything that the Fantastic Four does, but better. Look, I try not to be overly negative on this series. I want to explore the superhero genre that I love, and has filled my life with so much positivity. But the truth of the matter is that there's some real stinkers out there. For every Dark Knight, there's a Batman v Superman. Don't at me! For every Daredevil Netflix series, there's a 2003 Daredevil movie. For every Captain America the First Avenger, there's that weird early 90s Captain America movie where he would pretend to be sick while he was riding in someone else's car and he would have them pull over and he would like jump out and like walk away like 50 feet and like 
hunch over like he was going to hurl and it would get the person to come out of the car and be all concerned and they'd be like hey man are you okay only for him to suddenly sprint back to the car so he could steal their car from them don't think I forgot about that part of chronicling the history of heroes like this means acknowledging the parts that didn't work a lot of people have fondness for the EPA and I'm not saying by any means that their attraction to the property is misplaced I'm just saying that I feel like this is a series with so much wasted potential. But even in that statement, there is a silver lining, and that's that there is potential. The Fantastic Four has a genuinely wonderful foundation for a story premise, one that wonderful things have been built on top of from time to time. One of the stories I didn't touch on was the Future Foundation, an extension of the Fantastic Four with slick black and white suits uh, that was a fantastic expansion of what the team could be, more of an organization meant to help younger heroes. And Spider-Man was even a part of that team. And speaking of Spidey, he was actually very close friends with Johnny. The two would often meet up, such as that time in the comics where Spidey's sh uh, suit was shredded. So Johnny lent him a spare Fantastic Four suit and a paper bag with eye holes so he could operate as the Bombastic Bagman until his actual suit was fixed. Little character moments like that are hilarious, and that's where the Fantastic Four are at their strongest. It's in character dynamics. Seeing them interact and live day-to-day and -day, um, just be roommates-slash-family in slice-of-life scenarios is often more engaging and interesting than the actual superhero work they do. And the property isn't dead. Not yet. Much like a group of misfits being transformed by cosmic rays into heroes and family, the series can still be transformed into something truly well, fantastic. It just needs the right vision, proper attention, and care. And for God's sakes, no more studio meddling. Nothing kills a good project quite so effectively. Learn that already, Hollywood! Just learn! Please! <clears throat> Sorry about that. Anyway, uh, that about covers this episode of Cape Corner. Please follow and leave a like on this episode. It really helps out. If you have a spare dollar or two that you'd like to donate, I have a Podbean patron page. Feel free to join the Discord. We're slowly but surely building a friendly community there. Thank you to Zahariel for last week's Blue Beetle suggestion, and thanks to Ralph Habiki Knight and Faye for this week's suggestion. If you'd like to suggest an episode, join the Discord, or just leave a comment. Uh... I usually check Podbean and YouTube for comments, so those would be the places to do so. Next week, I'm thinking of tackling a villain or an anti-hero character to spice things up. Until then, stay strong, stay true to yourselves, and remember, we can all be heroes.